Good morning, everyone. I'm Sarah and this is Sam. And we are going to be reading for you today from Psalm 67. If you picked up a Bible from the foyer, you'll find it on page 465. This is Psalm 67. For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks if you've been here for the last few weeks. Uh, while Kids Church has been on a break, the kids have helped us out with things like Bible reading and welcoming and stuff like that. And it's been so good to have the kids at part of our service. We'll miss them next week, but we know they're excited to get back into Kids Church. We're going to pray, and then we'll uh, open up and look at God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, uh, we pray that as we gather together this morning that you would refresh us that you would renew uh, a zeal in us, a passion in us for your glory and the good of your people. We pray this this morning. Help us understand. We pray that you challenge us and change us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you uh, ever asked this question before? Uh, the question, why do Christians do mission? Why do Christians bother telling anyone about Jesus when it's getting harder and harder to do it and it seems like less and less people are interested this week, uh, in the last week, I've had the, kind of the strangest conversation I've had in this kind of space. Uh, I was talking to a woman on Monday, uh, and we were chatting about church and about Jesus and this kind of thing. And I don't know about you, but it always for me gets to that point in the conversation where you just don't know how they're going to respond, right? You start speaking about this stuff, and you, kinda, you don't know how they're going to react. But this conversation was different. She responded to me, not in anger or hostility, but in empathy. She, was, she empathized with me. Now, she's not a Christian. Uh, she hasn't been to church for a while. Uh, she sort of hasn't had much to do with church at all. And yet, as we spoke about this stuff, she empathized with me because she recognized that for Christians, for people in church, not just to stand firm, but to actually tell people about Jesus, it's getting harder and harder to do. So she pointed to things like, you know, the media and how the media seem like they're more and more anti the whole church, the whole religion thing. She pointed to her friend's experience, some of her family's experience. She even pointed to kind of social media and how things blow up. And she empathized with me as I was talking about this stuff. Now, I was grateful for this conversation. Uh, because that hasn't happened before, right? And I don't know if you've been in a situation like that, but often the responses can be really different. I've had anything from grown men giving me big eye rolls to people shutting down the conversation to genuine com questions. I've had anything in that kind of space. But see, for me, when I'm talking about church, when I'm talking about Jesus, when I'm talking about anything to do with kind of this place... For me, it always gets to that point in the conversation where their response comes and it's always hard, right? I don't know if you can kind of, if you feel that as well, but when they respond, it's always hard to know how they're going to respond, right? Sometimes it's because I know them really well. 
Sometimes it's because I'm scared that I'm not going to know all the answers. Sometimes it's because this woman's right, right? Our culture, our country is going further away from Christianity. Less and less people are interested. It feels like that. Uh, Sometimes I'm scared because I do read some social media stuff. And so then it comes back to this question then for us all, in the face of kind of this difficulty, in the face of this hardness, in the face of not just the difficulty of speaking about this stuff, but in our own tiredness and exhaustion, why would Christians do mission? Why would we keep going on telling people, why would we bother telling people about anything to do with this if people seem less and less interested in what we've got to say? If it seems like it's getting harder and harder to do? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to open up the psalm this morning, the psalm that we had read out. And our hope is, as it's been in this whole series, that as we open up God's Word, that we'll be refreshed by God's Word. We'll see not just why we do mission, but why this stuff really matters anyway. So if you've got your Bibles there, keep them open, although it's going to be on the screen as well. And we see the answers to this question in Psalm 67, where we read, read, as Sam read out for us before, the subscript for the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. So this was written so that people would sing out, so that Israel would gather together and sing this together. And then we read verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Why do we do mission? Why would we bother telling people about Jesus Well, we're going to see the answer in this psalm, and what we're going to see is it's because of how God has treated us and what God has done for us, and we see this in the first verse here, right? We see this. We see the psalmist begin not with us, but with God. He begins with God, and his prayer is, right, you see it there, he's asking God for grace. He's asking God that God would bless us, and he's asking that God's face would shine upon us, which just simply means that God would show us favor. Okay, so he starts with God. Now, this verse, right, maybe you've prayed a prayer like this before, asking God to be kind to us and to bless us. But as we read the psalmist verse here in this song that Israel would sing, the question for us has to be, what does the psalmist mean by this word bless? Right, because essentially he's saying, be gracious, show us favor and bless us. So we've got to ask this question, what does it mean to be blessed? Right, Because the way we use blessing today is kind of confusing. I don't know if you've experienced this before, but we use blessing in all sorts of different ways, from really small things to really big things. Right? So we use this word blessing at, at, at a mealtime. If you've ever been there when someone has to say grace before you eat, and they say the words, bless this food to our bodies. Now what do we mean by that? Right? I don't know what we mean by that. Are we praying that it would taste good because we're scared it won't? Are we praying that it would give us energy because the previous meal didn't? I don't know, but we pray it and that's just what we do. Then we say, bless you when someone sneezes. Right? Why do we do that? I don't know. Do you know why? I don't, I don't think anyone knows why we do that. Are we saying, you know, I hope you recover from your sneeze? We just say it and then we like it when people say it to us. Right? We say, thank you for the blessing that you gave me. But, but we don't really know what it means, and yet we say it over small things, and then we say it over really big things too, right? So we say our kids are a blessing. You know, we say kids at church are a blessing. We say that, you know, our house is a blessing, our job is a blessing. And so when we kind of think about all this stuff, we recognize then that what blessing actually is is kind of confusing. So what does the psalmist mean when he says, bless us? What does the psalmist mean when he's crying out to God for grace and favor that God would bless us? 
Well, well, what we see is this actually throughout the Old Testament, that when they speak of blessing, they're speaking of a couple of things first and foremost. So the first thing that they're speaking of when, ble- when they think of blessing is the restoration between God and humanity. Right? That's the first thing that people are thinking of. When they think of blessing, the first thing is the restoration between the relationship between the God of the universe and humanity. And the reason they're crying out for this is because when people ignored God and rejected God, that relationship broke. No longer could we know God. No longer could we see God. And so this prayer for blessing is this prayer that we would know God again, that he would restore that relationship. But blessing was also a prayer that God would restore the broken world. Right? So firstly, it's this restoration of the covenant relationship, of this relationship between God and humanity. And then secondly, it's the prayer that this world, this broken world, would be restored. It's a prayer that God would deal with sickness, that God would deal with suffering, that he would deal with death, that God would fix the broken world. Okay, so that's what prayer, that's what blessing meant for people in the Old Testament. That's the first thing that blessing meant for them. And then anything that followed came out of that. So restored relationship with God, restoration of the broken world. Now, here's why this is challenging. I think when we think about blessing, we reverse that order, right? Because I don't know about you, but in my mind, when I'm thinking blessing, the first thing is not restoration of us and God and not restoration of the broken world. Right? We, we don't think about that. Now, maybe it's because we're just confused about blessing, or maybe it's because we just live in Australia. And in Australia, we are a self-centered society. Right? We are. We are an individualistic society that celebrates your individualism. Right? You are the center in this world. Right? You be you. You, just, you do you, man, and that's the best thing. You are the center of this universe. You chase your dreams. You follow whatever makes you feel happy. You do you. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I was reading a book recently that was talking about this kind of self-centeredness in our society, and it was saying that he was suggesting that our use of smartphones only fosters this culture of self-centeredness. Right? Now, I don't know if you've experienced something like this before, uh, but he points to the fact that when you use your phone, your smartphone, you are the center of the world. Right? So, you know, if you don't like something, what do you do? You just close the app. You scroll past. If you don't like someone, you just unfollow them. If you're bored, you just download a new app or you put on a new show. And in that moment, who's the center of the world? I am. Right? In that moment on my phone. Now, if you've experienced this before, what happens when people interrupt us when we're on our phone? Like, I'm not normally inviting that interruption. Right? When someone interrupts me, I'm like, hey, can you see I'm doing something here? Right? We are the center of our world. Now, he suggests that this continues to foster this idea, this self-centeredness in our culture. Now, one of the dangers of this, of the fact that we are this society, is that when we think about blessing we kind of bring our culture into what blessing is. So blessing then becomes all about me, right? I want blessing so that I can have the good life. I want blessing for me. I mean, yes, I want blessing so that my eternity is secure. Of course, that's true. But I also want blessing so that I can have a nice house. I want blessing so that I can have more stuff. I want blessing so that I can have a comfier life. I want blessing so that I can have more security. I want blessing for me, 
right? I want blessings so that I can live the great Australian dream. That's what I want blessing for. And so what we do then is we kind of bring in this idea of what blessing is and then we start saying blessing equals this stuff. Blessing equals the great Australian dream. But see, we've, we've kind of reversed the order then. Because when the psalmist cries out for blessing, he's not crying out for that. He's crying out that first, God would restore the broken relationship between God and humanity. Secondly, that God would restore the broken world. And then whatever flows from that, flows from that. But that's the cry out for blessing. Right? Now, now the question is to kind of, I think, further challenge us is to ask this question. Why does the psalmist pray for this? Why do Israel ask for blessing? Right? What is it? Is it so they can live the great dream? Well, well, this is what we see as we keep reading in the psalm. And he says it eight times from this point out, just to make sure it's crystal clear for us the purpose of this blessing. See, in verse 1, he says, Be gracious, give us favor, bless us. Why? Verse 2, we see it twice in verse 2. So that your ways may be known on earth so that your salvation among the nations. Verse 3, twice again we see it. So that may the peoples praise you. May all the peoples praise you. Again, we see it in verse 4. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. We see it again twice in verse 5. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And then in verse 6 and 7, cries out for blessing again. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, bless us. And then verse 7, may God bless us still. Why? So that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Why do they want blessing? Why do Israel sing for blessing and long for blessing? It's not so they can have a comfier life. It's so that the nations would know. It's so that all the people on earth would know. Blessing leads to mission. The purpose of blessing is mission. Right? That's what the psalmist says. Give us blessing so that the nations would know. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel when you read this. But for me, this is challenging because in my head, I want blessing so that I can live the good life. But Psalm 67 shakes that up, says to us, no, I am blessed so that the nations can be glad and rejoice. You are blessed so that the nations can be glad and rejoice. Israel are blessed so the people everywhere can see who God is and what God has done. And so what they would do is they would gather together as a community and they would sing this song together. They would gather kind of like this. I mean, if it was today, they would gather kind of like this, two stringed instruments, and they would sing this. They would pray this. They would long for this, right? They dreamed of the day where God would bless them so that the nations could know, right? You see that? that that's what they would do together. They hoped for this. They dreamed for this. They longed for this day where God would show them blessing so that the nations could know, but see, there's something different for us as we read this to what Israel did, right? Because Israel longed for this. They hoped for this. They dreamed of this. They wished they could see this. But what they hoped for, what they dreamed of, what they wished they could see, we do see and we do know. Because God, as the history continued, God did pour his blessing out. 
Now, it wasn't when the settlers came to Australia. That wasn't the day when God poured his blessing out upon the nations. No, it was bigger than that and better than that. It was when Jesus entered into the world. Because as Jesus came, he was coming to deal with these two things, right? The broken relationship between humanity and God and the broken world. So Jesus went to the cross and he died to pay for sin. Right? He took sin away so that now humanity can have a clear way to God where God no longer holds our wrongs against us. That's why Jesus died. Then we see Jesus rose from death to secure the restoration of the broken world. And why he hasn't, while he hasn't fixed the broken world yet, he will do it. Right? So he actually came to be this blessing. So when we read this psalm, what we see is the fulfillment of this psalm of verse 1 in Jesus. He is the blessing. He is the favor, right? He is the grace. Jesus has done this, which means that there is blessing on offer here. Now, what we see as we keep reading in the Bible is we actually see this language picked up again. And it's in 2 Corinthians, and it'll be on the screen. And notice how Paul uses the same kind of language that Psalm 67 used. We pick it up from chapter 5, verse 20. Paul says this, We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the blessing. Right, He is the one who fixed the, the relationship between humanity and God. There is hope for us in Jesus. But then he says this in chapter 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. The psalmist prayed for grace. Paul says that grace is here. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Can you see what Paul's saying? Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 67. Jesus is the blessing. He is the favor. And we can have salvation in Jesus. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't receive this in vain. Right? Don't receive God's grace in vain. God's grace has been poured out to you. Come to Jesus. Receive this blessing. So if you're here this morning and you want blessing, if you're here this morning and you want this restored relationship between God and humanity, if you want the hope for a greater world, Paul says it's here. Now's the time of salvation. Right? Don't delay this decision to trust in Jesus. Don't wait for this. Right? Leave behind this world centered on you and come to salvation centered on Jesus. Grace is here. Favor is here. Now is the day of salvation. Come to him. He loves you. He cares for you. Jesus is this blessing. And so for some of us this morning, it might be this decision to actually come and trust in Jesus. Receiving this grace not rejecting this grace, not holding this grace out, not seeing it and moving on, but coming to him and trusting in him. But see, there's a, a question for some of us who have put our trust in Jesus, who have received this grace. And the question is, if we've put our trust in Jesus, what do we do with this? What do we do with grace? What do we do with favor? What do we do with this blessing? Well, this is where Psalm 67 comes in. They prayed for blessing so that the nations could know. 
Blessing leads to mission. Blessing has come so that the world can know. That's why blessing has come. Now, what's interesting is Paul gets this as well. So we won't read out all of this passage, but I just want to point out to you how Paul speaks of the fact that he gets his job is to tell the world, right? So we see this from just before the verses we had read out before, and you can see it on the screen in those highlighted verses where Paul gets what his job is, right? So verse 11, he says, Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. We see it in verse 14. He says, Christ's love compels us. We see it in verse 18. says that we are now a part of the ministry of reconciliation. We see it where we read out before in verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors, hear this, as though God were making his appeal through us. We see it in chapter 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. The psalmist says, bless us so that the world can know who Jesus is, know who God is, know this blessing. Paul gets it, right? He says, bless us so that, I mean, now he says, we are ambassadors, we are compelled by this, we are God's co-workers. And so what we see then is that blessing leads to mission, right? The psalmist gets it, Paul gets it, and so then the question for us is, do we grasp that? Right? Do we grasp that we have been blessed so that the nations could know? Right? Do, do we get that we've been blessed not so that we can have comfier lives, but so that people everywhere can see the hope that we have? That's why blessing has come to us. That's why in the face of hostility, we keep going. It's why in the face of fear, in the face of danger, in the face of worry, in the face of anxiety, in the face of tiredness and exhaustion, that's why we keep going because God has blessed us and blessing leads to mission. It is the purpose that we have. This is why we do mission. This is why we are driven to go into our world over and over and over again. And so then as we get to the end of this, the question is not just why we do mission, but how do we do this? Right? Because I feel like maybe if we've been in church for any little time, we know that we're meant to do this, so the question is, how do we do this? How do we do mission knowing that it is the purpose of blessing? Well, uh, I know that this morning we could talk about a bunch of different stuff when we think about mission, but this morning we want to just focus on five things, and hopefully it's the beginning conversation to many conversations that we have. But there's five practical ways that we can think about mission, that we can do mission. So here they are. The first is we understand mission. We understand that God's mission in this world is to save people. Like God saved us, God will keep saving people, right? So despite the difficulty you face, despite conversations over and over again, despite hostility, despite fear, despite anxiety, God is still working, God is still working to save people. Right? We have to remember that and hold on to that. God's mission in this world is to save people. Right? Hear Paul's words, we are ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. So first, we understand the mission. Second, we understand the message. We understand that we have the message of good news. We have the hope for a broken world. We have a hope for a broken people. We have the only hope for eternal life. And that's that Jesus came to die for sinners, of which I'm the worst. 
and that he rose again, defeating death and gives us a hope of something greater, of eternal life, of a restored, broken world. We have the message, right? No one else has the message. There's only one way to Jesus, and we have the message, and so we are driven by this message, right? So first, we understand the mission. Second, we understand the message. And third, we understand the messenger, right? So, so we understand that we have been called to mission and that we are messengers, right? So it's not just the missionaries overseas that are the messengers. We are messengers, right? Now, um, often when we think about who are the messengers for this, on this mission, right? Who are those telling this message? Often we just go to people, you know, who are like confrontational or people who have all the answers. But it's interesting, I was reading uh, a book in the last couple of weeks called Honest Evangelism by a guy called Rico Tice, who, if you know, he's, uh, he's the guy that kind of made the Christianity Explored uh, stuff, right? He's the guy that did all that. And if you're interested in kind of this space, mission, evangelism, stuff like that, this is a great book, um, Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice. But he talks about how God has made you, right? And that's unique and that's wonderful and how God uses you in the mission field. And so what he points to is that there's four different kind of characters in the Bible that we can be when we think about being a messenger. Now, we've got some pictures for this one. So if you're a kid and you've got some drawing in front of you, right, you've got some drawing to do for these next four people. Four people, right? I reckon you can draw them as well. So the first one is this one, Peter. Now, Peter in the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, he's confrontational. Right? Now, I don't know if you can draw that. I feel like it might be a little bit difficult to draw that. Maybe not. But this is Peter, right? So Peter's confrontational. In Acts chapter 2, he's confrontational. So if you are familiar with Acts chapter 2, he speaks in Acts chapter 2, and he says to the Jewish people, God sent Jesus, and you put him to death. Confrontational. Right? Like he just goes out there and says it, and what we see is that people are actually saved. Now, some of us, as we think about our skill set, we're like Peter, right? Maybe we like this. Maybe we like to be kind of confrontational. We're straight shooters and we like to just speak clearly and maybe bluntly in love, right? But maybe we're like Peter. Okay, but he says there's some other characters as well. So the second one, we got Paul. Now, this is not Ryan. This is Paul. He's, sorry, that was, he got me last week with the button up, so I said I'd get him back. And there it is. Uh, so, so that's Paul, and Paul is a reasoner. Right? He's a reason. So um, think of Acts 17, if you're familiar with it again. He goes to Athens, and when he's in Athens, Paul reasons with the people there. Right? Now, maybe you're like Paul. Maybe you like to think about deep philosophical ideas. You like to ask questions, and you like to kind of go about answering really hard questions. Right? Maybe that's you. You're like Paul. Right? You're a reasoner. I don't really know why he's got a beard. You don't need to have a beard if you're Paul, but he does. Right, So there's Peter, there's Paul, confrontational reasoner. But you know, in our minds, we often think this is the only two people that can do mission, right? the only two messengers. But there's a couple of others. The third one is the blind man. This is from John chapter 9, and the blind man's approach is testimonial. Okay, So his thing is, he just tells about what Jesus did for him. Now, this might be you, right? And so uh, we're... Rico says, maybe this is you. Maybe you can humbly accept that you don't have all the answers, but you're still willing to speak about what Jesus has done for you. 
And so he points. So John 9, we see this. They ask Jesus, right? They, say, uh, they ask the blind man, do you think Jesus is a sinner or not? And the blind man replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. What I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Right? And maybe this is your thing as well. Maybe your testimonial. Maybe you can speak about what Jesus has done for you, but you know you don't have all the answers. Right? And so the encouragement is be that. Speak about what Jesus has done. And then the fourth one, the final picture for us, is the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, we see the woman at the well. And this woman goes to the well, meets Jesus. Jesus tells her all that he's done, all that she's done, her past. And then the woman goes back into town and she invites everyone. And she says, Come and check this guy out, right? Jesus, he might actually be the Messiah. And Rico says, maybe this is you, right? Maybe you're a great inviter. Maybe you're hospitable. Maybe you're enthusiastic and people just, you know, that, that comes through with how you speak to people. He says, maybe this is you. Maybe you're a great inviter. Now, what I love about these pictures and these four categories is it actually helps us think, okay, so it's not just Peter and Paul who are the ones on mission, who are the messengers, but actually we can all be, right? We can all be a part of this. And you might be a bit of all of those, it might be a bit of some of those. It might be more Peter and less like the woman at the well, but you might not be, right? And the encouragement is we can actually grasp this and we can take our role in this. Now, what, again, what I love about this is we can work together as a church in this. So maybe you're the woman at the well, right? Maybe you're a great inviter and you don't have all the answers, but you know someone at church who's a good Paul, right? And you can invite them to church and you can make sure that the Paul knows to come and speak to them because, you know, he's got more answers. You see how that works? How encouraging is that, that we can actually be a part of that? But see, the challenge here is that we're actually all on this. We're all messengers, right? God has blessed us so that the nations could know. So first, we understand the mission. Second, the message. Third, the messenger. And then fourthly, we understand the means, We understand the means in which we do mission, and we understand that the means in which we do mission is in the context of relationships. We do mission in the context of relationships, and and this is important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's because people need to know we love them before we can effectively speak into their lives, right? People need to know that we genuinely care about them before we can effectively speak into their lives. A message without love, we may as well be a sounding gong. We may as well just speaking gibberish if there's no love. And so we do this in the context of relationships where we love people and we tell them about Jesus. So they know that our message isn't coming from like this cultish place where we need land and money, but from the depths of our heart, where we want them to know the message that we have. Right? That's the first reason the means of relationships important. But the second is for this. The second is because we need to understand mission is a long game. Right? It's a long game. It's not a short thing. It's, it's not a quick fix. It's a long game. I heard a stat this week, uh, or in the last couple of weeks, that said the average for someone to become a Christian was 50 gospel conversations over three years. 50 conversations over three years. Now, look, I know God can do amazing things in one conversation. It's an average, right? So it doesn't mean that we can go, okay, we need 50 conversations. And on the 50th, they're going to bow down and follow Jesus. But if this is the average, this is encouraging for a few reasons, right? One, we get it's a long game, right? We get that we're actually in it for a long time, right? That there's no short-term fix. Two, because we understand that when we do have a gospel conversation, we're not discouraged. 
You know, like, I don't know, like, I had this conversation towards uh, the middle of last year. I had a friend of mine who was going to London, and I said, before you leave, I need to talk to you about Jesus. Now, I was pretty scared about doing that. I thought he'd be like, nah, I don't want to. But he was like, cool. And so I got to speak to him about Jesus. And then we did, and he didn't bow down and worship Jesus. And at the end of that conversation, I was discouraged because I was hoping he would. But mission is a long game, right? There's no short-term fixes, and often it's not just one conversation. It's lots of conversations. And so this is an encouragement to keep going in the context of relationships. But this also helps us with things that we invite people to, right? Like we often think if we just invite them to one event, they'll become a Christian. But it doesn't work like that. And even like we got this Mez thing coming up that we've been talking about. Now, we're praying for that. We're praying that God would use that and would change people on that day. We're praying that Mez would be able to, in his unique way, speak into people's lives. But, but we get it's not a silver bullet, right? Now, it might happen. It might work. But chances are it won't because it's a long game, right? And so we invite people and we're not discouraged when they don't accept Jesus. We keep turning up. We keep going back, recognizing we're in relationships and we're in this for the long game. Right? I think that's actually encouraging to recognize that. And it changes our idea of just like one conversation or one invite. We keep turning up. We keep doing this. So fourthly, we understand the means. And then finally, fifthly, we understand the method. We understand the method of our church here at Southside. Now, I know that there's five M's up there, slightly different M's to what we talk about sometimes here at Southside, but hopefully that's helpful. We understand the method of our church. Now, look, here at church, I could talk about anything, right? So we, we got English for Life, we got play group, we got youth group, Sunday services. We try and make as friendly and as little jargon as possible. We want to help all of those things. But since it's the last Sunday in January, and we can still say it's the start of the year, just wanted to talk about our calendar for a moment and the strategy that we have here at church. So here at Southside, as Ryan said before, we want to see lots of people become Christians. We want to reach 1% of our community. We want to see our community come in droves to Jesus. Right? We are on about this. We are driven by this. We are spurred on by this because we want to see people know Jesus. And so what we do then as a church is we strategically think about our calendar now, in 2019, our mission began actually in 2018 at the Carols. So here's the picture of kind of just the mission, some of the mission stuff going on at our church. So our mission began in the Carols in 2018. Now, you can kind of see it's kind of like a, a funnel there or, you know, where the beach meets a creek, an inlet or anything kind of like that, right? So we have our Carols. Now, if you came to the Carols, you got to see that it was a really kind of low-key thing. Right? Like we, we did food. We wanted to show people we were generous with our hospitality. We, you know, sung carols. We made sure we didn't do long sermons. It was a great first step for people to come to church. Right? So, so we opened up. Right? And we got heaps of people in here. It was awesome. But there's not a silver bullet. It's a long game. And so we want to have a next step. So next step might be this mez thing coming up. Right? Now the reality is we might get less than what we had at the carols. Because it's a Sunday morning, right? We're starting to think about different stuff. It is church. That's scary. But we want to have that next step, right? Then straight after Mez, we've got the life course beginning. Now, here's the ideal. Well, not the ideal, but here might, it might work for some people, right? They come to the carols for the first time. That's their first step into church. Your friend, your relationship. You invite them to Mez. Maybe they come to Mez, right? The next step for them. Right? They probably haven't, maybe they didn't come to church in January, but maybe they might come to Mez. The next step after that for them is that you actually say to them, come with me to the life course. Right? Come with me. 
Because mission happens in the context of relationships. So when we do the life course, we don't just put it out to our community and say, you know, anyone who wants to come, come. I mean, we hope that that works, but it's scary. And so the idea is that you invite your friend to the life course. That happens for six weeks. We talk about the meaning of life and the message of Jesus. And then after that, we have an afterlife course, which we meet and we read the Bible. We look at the book of Mark. We sit down and we talk about that together. Right? So you kind of see how it works. But then July hits and we realize we want to start again. So we start again. We've got an open day coming up in July. This is where we kind of just look at what church is. We put it on big. I mean, we don't have a lot of details about this yet, but we hopefully might have jumping castles and food and stuff like this. A great first step for your friends. Then we have straight after that a women's event, right? A missional women's event, right? You invite people to come and check out church, grow in their relationships, see what this is all about, right? Your non-Christian friends come to this thing or people who may be on the edge of church come to this thing, come and check it out, right? We have a women's event. Then after that, the week after that, we have a men's event, a men's missional event, where the hope is we can invite our non-Christian men friend to that, men, male friends to that. They can come along to that and they can get to know relationships, get to know people, all that sort of stuff. And then after that, we have the life course, right? You see how it works? There's next steps for people, right? There's next steps for people to go to. Life course runs, after life course runs, and then at the end of this year, our mission begins again in 2020 with our carols, right? Now, the reality is, right, this might not work in terms of perfectly every time, right? Someone might have come to the carols at the end of last year and they might not come to anything this year, but they might come to the carols again next year, right? But we hold on to this. We remember mission is the long game. We work together in on this and we see that actually there is a purpose to what we're doing here at Southside. So five things again, right? Just quickly, mission, message, messenger, means, method. This is how we can do mission. Now, I know there's heaps of stuff I haven't talked about. My hope is that this is the beginning conversation to many conversations about mission because we are convinced God is on mission in this world. We are convinced God is saving people and we are convinced we are the messengers of this. We are Christ's ambassadors as though he's speaking to us and so we work together on this. We've been blessed so that the nations can know. How exciting is that? How great is that that we can be a part of that? So we long for that. We look forward to that. And we can't wait to see what God does this year. Let's pray for this ends. God, we thank you so much that you have blessed us, that Jesus has come, that he has fixed the relationship between God and humanity, and that he has promised a future fix to this broken world. Lord, we pray that you would help us see that this blessing has come so that people can know. Lord, this blessing has come so that the nations can know who Jesus is and what he's done. Lord, help us to be a people who are driven by, by this. Help us to be a people who have a burning ambition to see people being saved. We pray that you would empower us, that you would equip us, that you would give us a spirit of boldness and courage to go to build relationships so that people can see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.